One of my favorite ways to invest is real estate, but not everyone wants to handle tenants and toilets. Enter Fundrise. They make it easy to invest in real estate with their flagship fund. Now, as always, you always have to carefully consider the investment objectives and risks of the Fundrise flagship fund before investing. But right now, demand is dropping and prices are falling, even for many of the best assets. And the Fundrise flagship fund plans on going on a buying spree, expanding its billion-dollar real estate portfolio over the next few months. You can add the Fundrise flagship fund to your portfolio in just minutes with just as little as $10 by visiting fundrise.com slash PFP. As always, carefully consider the investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses of the Fundrise flagship fund before investing. This and other information can be found in the fund's prospectus at fundrise.com slash PFP. That's fundrise.com slash PFP. This is a paid advertisement. One of the most important financial decisions that you can make is buying life insurance especially if you have people who depend on your income. It could be a spouse, an aging parent, children, or even a business partner, which is why I recommend term life insurance from Policy Genius. It's cheap and easy to set up, and Policy Genius is where I went to to get my policy, and they made it so incredibly easy. I had a simple phone call, answered some questions, and I was completely set up. And with Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just $292 per year for $1 million worth of coverage. And some options offer same-day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. So save time and money and provide your family with a financial safety net using Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com or click the link in the description to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you can save. That's policygenius.com. On this episode of the Personal Finance Podcast, we're going to talk about how you can negotiate your rent like a pro. What's up, everybody, and welcome to the Personal Finance Podcast. I'm your host, Andrew, founder of MasterMoney.co. And today on the Personal Finance Podcast, we're going to be talking about how to negotiate your rent like a pro. If you have any questions, hit me up on TikTok or Instagram at MasterMoneyCo and follow us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or whatever podcast player you love listening to this podcast to. And if you want to help out the show, and thank you so much to every single person who has been leaving five-star ratings and reviews. It truly helps out the show. And if you think someone could benefit from learning how to build wealth, share this podcast with them because this is something where our entire goal is to teach as many people as possible how to build wealth. So today we are going to be talking about how to negotiate your rent like a pro. And if you didn't hear our last episode, we talked about what you should do if your rent starts to rise, specifically if it's rising dramatically. And obviously housing is one of the biggest costs that are out there that everybody has to deal with. And the biggest thing that you can do is if your living expenses are rising, you need to learn how to negotiate your rent. And negotiation skills are that. They are a skill that you can learn over time. And I'm going to teach you exactly how to do it for your rent-specific purposes in this episode so that you can understand, hey, if my landlord's going to raise my rent 20, 30, 40%, I need to understand how to negotiate this where it's a win-win situation for both of us and the price doesn't rise so high. 
And listen, I know how tough this environment is because the landlord typically has the upper hand in this environment. It can feel like everything is completely hopeless when it comes to your rent. But I want to help you navigate this market as much as you possibly can. Now, we always talk about this. We talked about this in the last episode as well. You want to keep your housing expenses below 30% of your net income that you take in every single month. And this becomes harder and harder as time goes on because according to Fannie Mae Home Purchase Index, 69% of renters said that their rent increased or is expected to increase this year. And the national median rent for a two-bedroom unit as of February was $1,985, which is a 20.4% jump over the previous year. So here's the problem into play. If your income is not rising, inflation is eating into your buy power. In addition, if you're renting and your rent goes up 20% over that time frame, that means you are down 30% from where you were last year in terms of your buying power with your housing. This is a very difficult situation to be in. So you're going to have to learn how to navigate this a little bit. Now, I understand this is tough. And listen, if you're in a financial bind, this is a situation where you have to spend a little more than 30% just to get by. Sometimes our savings rates are seasonal. Where we always talk about you need to have a savings rate of at least 20%, but that's also a seasonal thing. If you're in a situation for a year where you can't save that total 20%, you can only squeeze out 15, 14, 10%, somewhere in that range. And if it's only for a short period of time, that is okay because this is a seasonal thing. But if you can reduce some costs, understanding how powerful it is to build wealth, understanding how powerful it is to invest your dollars, then you need to make sure that you're doing that over that time frame. So we're going to talk about a bunch of things today, but we're going to talk about why it's important to learn how to negotiate your biggest expense. And then we're going to give you some tools to help you negotiate. And then I'm going to give you some talking points to use to your advantage as leverage within the negotiation. And then we're going to talk about what to do if you get really anxious and you're stressed out about negotiating. If that just brings you extreme anxiety to have to negotiate something, with a lot of people it does. And we're going to talk about how you can fix that and how you can work on it and practice it so that it's not so scary. And now one thing I want to note before we dive into this episode is that your negotiation with your landlord or the property manager of your property needs to be kind and it needs to be something where you are firm but extremely respectful. I mean, this needs to be a very respectful thing. Otherwise, you will lose the negotiation if you're not respectful. I can understand that sometimes these things can get heated. And even if they say something to you that may not be the right thing for them to say, you still need to remain calm and respectful throughout the entire negotiation because all negotiations are lost if you lose your temper and all negotiations are lost if you get emotional. So you must control your emotions within negotiation. That is the number one greatest thing that I want you to take away as you go about doing these negotiations. Now you can be firm and still be kind to people and understanding that will really help you throughout this process. So let's jump into how to negotiate your rent. All right, so I'm going to give you the step-by-step guide on how to negotiate your rent. So step one is you have to do your research and prepare to negotiate. So the first thing that you want to do is you want to find out what properties are renting for in your area. Now, there's a number of ways that you can do this, but here's kind of the way that I would do it starting off. So the first way I would do it, specifically if you don't have a realtor friend or something along those lines, then you would go to Zillow or Realtor.com and you would search your address and look for rentals within a mile from your property. 
The reason why you want to find them as close as possible to your property is that's the most reasonable comps. Now, if you're in a remote area and there is literally nothing within a mile of your property, get them as close as you possibly can. But if you are in an area that has somewhat of a population, you should be able to find comparable rentals within a mile from the property that you're currently renting. Now, here's the key to this, and a lot of people won't tell you this, but do not look for rentals that are being advertised. You want to look for rentals that have already been rented because rentals that are advertised could be getting negotiated down where they're trying to put a high price on the market, but it actually gets rented for less. So you want to find properties that are actually rented. And the way you can do that is when you're in Zillow or Realtor.com or Rent.com or Apartments.com or whatever you use, you can actually check a box that says looking for rentals that are actually rented, not rentals that are currently on the market. This will be the actual data that helps you. Now, don't worry about any of the rent or Zestimate numbers. The actual properties that I've actually rented are the things that you truly care about. Now, what you want to do is gather this information for the last six months. You can gather data from even further out. But the thing about that is the market is changing so quickly. As you see, 20% change nationally just in the last year that you want to make sure that this data is as current as it possibly can be. And then make sure these are comparable properties. So a big thing with this is sometimes people try to pull comparable properties of like a five bedroom house in comparison to your one bedroom apartment. What you want to do is make sure that if you have a one bedroom one bathroom apartment, you're comparing that to one bedroom and one bathroom apartments. Don't take a three bedroom, two bathroom house. Don't take a two bedroom, two bathroom house. You want to make sure that these properties are actual comparables. Otherwise, when you use this information in a negotiation, it's going to work against you. You have to understand that it needs to be a very close comp to what your current property is. Now, you want to look at bedrooms, you want to look at bathrooms, and you want to look at square footage and try to match that up as closely as possible. Does the square footage need to be exact? Absolutely not, because every house is a little bit different. But if you have a three-bedroom, two-bathroom house that's 1,248 square feet, you want to make sure you at least find a three-bedroom, two-bathroom house that's somewhere in that range. If it's 1,100 square feet, if it's 1,300 square feet, that's fine, but it needs to be the three-bedroom, two-bathroom house with the same comparables. If one has a pool and yours doesn't have a pool, then there's something else that you can actually consider talking about. If it has better amenities than yours does, then that's going to help you as well, especially if it's at a cheaper price. Then you want to get the average rent of all the comparable properties. So you can do this in Excel. You can do this on a lot of these websites. They'll do it for you if you just check the box of a bunch of different properties. So you can get the average rent of all those properties as well. And you can use this number as your negotiation tool. Now, in addition to getting the price of rent, there's a couple of other things that I want you to research that's going to help you depending on how the negotiation goes because negotiations can go all different directions. You want to try to control the negotiation as much as possible on your end. That's not always easy when you're in the middle of a negotiation. So the first thing to think about is what could the cost be to your landlord if you leave? So here are some things to know. Usually, when you're renting out a property and a tenant leaves, Your property is vacant for about a month because what you have to do is you have to turn over that property, meaning you have to paint the walls, you have to clean out the property, you have to make sure anything that's broken is fixed before you rent out the property or put it on the market. So there's a bunch of costs at play there. What that means is they are losing, if it's just one month, they are losing 8% rent for that entire year. That's a significant sum of money. So say, for example, you're in a negotiation and they raise the rent $100. So it's $1,200 a year to do that. But if you leave, they're going to lose, say, if your rent's $2,000 a month, that's an $800 difference 
right there that they would lose. So the rent increase is not enough for it to be equal to the amount if you leave and they have to do that turnover. So that's something where you just want to think through some of these numbers and think through some tactics as to what you can say and what you can utilize if this negotiation does not go well and it does not go in your favor towards the end. You can pull out some things like this and utilize those. Obviously, again, I'm going to say this over and over in this podcast in a very respectful manner, but let your landlord know you are completely informed about this situation. So that's the first one. Vacancy costs are very high for a landlord. In addition, the cost to bring the unit up to the par. So how much does it cost to clean the unit? How much does it cost to paint? The minor repairs, all those different things. It's a very costly thing to turn over a unit. Now, this is why like early on when I started investing, I loved single family houses because people stay in single family houses when they rent them out. They stay there for years and years and years. Families go into single family houses and they stay up to five, six, seven. I've had tenants there for five years before. So this is where you want to make sure as a landlord that you find properties where people want to stay. And part of that is making sure they're clean and tidy and in a good area and all that type of thing. In addition, you just want to make sure that your tenant stays because it's so costly to turn it over. Now, if they're trying to raise the rent on you 40, 50%, this is a different type of situation, but you want to have this information in your back pocket so you can utilize it in a negotiation. In addition, if you have to turn over the property, you also have to take a significant amount of time to turn over the property where you have to figure out, okay, who's my cleaning crew going in? Who's the handy person who's going to fix all of the things that are broken? Who's going to paint my walls? How am I going to be able to schedule them? All this time has to be taken out and focused on that property to turn it over. Now, if you are renting, this is one thing I really want you to note here. If you're renting from like a BlackRock, a massive real estate investment trust or something along those lines or a hedge fund, for example, I've dealt with hedge funds. I've actually bought properties from hedge funds before. When you're dealing with hedge funds, they are ruthless, they are cutthroat, and they typically are significantly harder to negotiate with. So if you're in like a really, really large apartment complex, you got to think through who you're negotiating with because you want to be negotiating with the decision maker. The decision maker is going to make a massive difference. Where if you're negotiating with a mom and pop landlord, all of a sudden you are in a great situation to negotiate when you're doing that. So You want to get as close as possible to the decision maker when you start your negotiation process. So if you have a longer time horizon, you can kind of figure out who that is if you're working with the REIT. But typically, if REITs are raising rents, they're going to follow all the rules and they're going to figure out a way to do this and they don't really care if you stay or go. That's the downside to doing this if you're in a massive apartment complex. So that may be a situation where you're going into this negotiation, you're giving it your all, you're going to do everything you can, but knowing in the back of your head, if you have to, you might have to walk if you're not talking to the actual decision maker. Because if you're not talking to the decision maker, it's very difficult to have a negotiation that gets anywhere. Now let's jump to step two. Step two is you have to know exactly what you want as you enter into this negotiation. You gotta know the exact number, the amount of rent that you wanna negotiate with. So if you walk into a rental negotiation without a number, you're at the mercy of the landlord. You have to know what you want. It's your landlord's job to determine how much money... They want to charge you every month to maximize their profits. So that's what you're working against here. So you need to know exactly what number that you want so that you can try to meet in the middle at that point. Now, this number is going to vary from person to person. Usually, it really depends on where you live. If you live in Lexington, Kentucky, this number is going to be way lower than if you live in New York City. So understanding what the number needs to be is why we have step one. We want to make sure that you know exactly what that number is so that you can use this in the negotiation. 
Sure, we all want cheaper rent, but there's also other things that you can add into this negotiation if you can't get the exact rent price you want. Let me give you some examples of some things that you can utilize to negotiate. Because if you're close enough, if you can get close enough to the price that you want, maybe you can throw in free parking or a free storage unit or garage. Or maybe you can get free or partially paid utilities. That's a great negotiation tool because your monthly cost in housing, if you can reduce your utility cost, but pay maybe a little bit more in rent, then you can even this whole thing out and get as close as possible to 30% or less of your net income. Or maybe you can get a guest parking pass or you can get your security deposit back or a security deposit waived. Or you can waive the pet fee for that year if you have pets. There's a number of different things that you can kind of talk through and see if you can get some additional things as you negotiate your rent. That's the power of negotiating your rent. Sometimes you can add in bonuses. So even if your rent increases, you don't just have to take it on exactly what you're getting now. You can add in some bonuses as well. And if there's some other things that you can think of, maybe there's additional amenities that you have to pay extra for. Well, you can add those into this negotiation as you go through this process. Now, step three, and this is a major one. After you've looked up and done your research, then you figured out exactly what you want to get out of this negotiation. You can write this down too if you want like a document to kind of figure out, hey, where do I need to be? You can write down on a sheet of paper. Then step three comes into play. And we're going to talk about step three right after this. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. And if you need to hire, you need Indeed, because Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors. And they have a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. So ditch the busy work and use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash personal finance. Just go to Indeed.com slash personal finance right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash personal finance. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Have you been using Mint for your finances? Well, there's been some mixed reviews, and Mint is winding down, transitioning users to Credit Karma, which frankly isn't as comprehensive. But don't worry, because I've found a fantastic alternative that I've been loving called Monarch Money. And Monarch is a top-rated, all-in-one personal finance app. And you can create custom budgets, you can track your progress towards financial goals, and my favorite part, you can collaborate with your partner. And now, listeners for this show will get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to Monarch money.com slash pfp and after trying out monarch for myself i understand why it's a top-rated personal finance app and right now listeners to this show will get that extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash pfp that's m-o-n-a-r-c-h-m-o-n-e-y.com slash pfp for your extended 30-day free trial go to monarchmoney.com slash pfp Now is a great time of year to get your finances in order. And no matter what your financial goals are this year, when you use Chime's online checking account, you can cross all those financial to-dos off your list. 
Chime's online checking account has tons of benefits that millions of members love, like fee-fee overdraft up to $200. Plus, get paid up to two days early with direct deposit, all while managing your money on the go 24-7. And you get access to over 60,000 ATMs. So start building your credit and open a Chime checking account with at least $200 qualifying direct deposit to get started. Get started at Chime.com PFP. That's Chime.com PFP. Banking services and debit card provided by the Bancorp Bank, NA, or Stride Bank, NA, members FDIC. Spot me eligibility requirements and overdraft limits apply. Early access to direct deposit funds depends on payer. Out-of-network ATM withdrawal fees may apply. The key to winning in any business is making sure you have the right business partner. An example is Procter & Gamble or Ben & Jerry. But what about the perfect partners when it comes to growing your business? That's you and Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to, did we just hit a million dollars stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. And most people know one of your biggest struggles when it comes to starting an online business is finding new customers and Shopify can help you do that. And what I love about Shopify is no matter how big you wanna grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. So sign up for $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash PFP, all lowercase. So go to shopify.com slash PFP now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. That's shopify.com slash PFP. So step three is you want to start the negotiation process early. I cannot stress this enough. You have no leverage if you begin negotiating when there's 15 days before you have to sign your lease. You must start this process as early as you possibly can. So look to begin negotiating two, three months in advance. And if you can do it even sooner, I would. But think of this from the lens of your landlord. As they're starting to approach the time frame, three, four, five months before you have to renew your lease, they're going to want to do what they can to get you to re-sign on their terms. That's why it's the best time to negotiate your rent. Now, there have been studies that have been done that the winter time is actually a better time to negotiate your rent than are at peak times throughout the year. So, You can think about it this way. There's a bunch of holidays throughout the winter. So a lot of people don't like moving in the winter, A. And if you live in a snowy climate, people don't like moving throughout that climate as well. But studies have been done that you can actually get five, six, seven percent less on your rent if you're negotiating in the wintertime. And a recent study from RentHop, which is a popular apartment listing site, discovered that you can save hundreds of dollars per year when you negotiate, specifically when you negotiate in the wintertime. And they say the best months are to negotiate between December and March, and the worst months to negotiate are between May and October. So if you want to squeeze out a few extra hundred dollars out of this negotiation process and your lease is coming up towards maybe the end of the year or early in the next year, this is a great time to negotiate. And it's a great time to actually have this conversation so that you can make sure that you both lock in a win-win situation and lock it in on your terms. Now, step four. Step four is something that you should be doing with any negotiation that you have, but you want to bring something to the table. What that means is a negotiation should feel like a win-win for both parties. Now, the key word I'm saying there is feel. You make the other party feel like they're winning as well. Now, you may be winning more if you're saving thousands of dollars while they are 
just keeping you for a longer time frame. And that may be something where you feel like you're winning more, but it's a still a win-win situation. So you need to incentivize your landlord to want to keep the rent lower. So how do you do that? You do that with what we call a deal sweetener. So you know how in movies when someone tries to persuade someone to do something and they slide a dollar bill across the table and say something like, can George Washington change your mind? Now you can do that too, but with a big stack of cash. Now let me explain. Here are some bargaining chips that you can use. If you pay your rent on time every single month, if you've always paid your rent on time, make sure that you're stating that and make sure you're saying it throughout the process because sometimes landlords need to be reminded who their good tenants are. So that's the first chip to use. The second one, offer to sign a longer lease. So this is the best one to utilize where you don't have to put yourself into a financial burden. So if you know you want to stay longer, Offer to sign a longer lease. So this is the easiest bargaining chip that I have seen, and I see it work countless times. So say, for example, if you want to lock in a year and a half lease, two-year lease, three-year lease, and you can even stack these up and say, hey, if I sign a three-year lease, will you keep the rent here? If I sign a two-year lease, will you keep the rent here? Or a year and a half lease, will you keep the rent here? And you can talk through that process with your landlord. Landlords want you to stay. There's two great things about this is you lock in the price for those years so you don't have to worry about it getting jacked up again on you and you don't have a 30% increase the next year and another 30% increase the year after that. And in addition, you get the price that you want. Now, one thing that you can add to sweeten this even more is say, hey, if you want to increase it at the rate of inflation, then we can have that discussion. If you are worried about inflation or a lot of people are worried about inflation right now, so if they're worried about inflation and you sign a three-year lease because you love the house that you're in, it's in a great area, something along those lines, and you sign a three-year lease and say, hey, if inflation goes up 5% next year, then I will increase the rent percentage at least 5%. And you can kind of talk through some of that as well so that it's a win-win deal for you and the landlord. But the best way to do it for you is to lock in the price for those three years. The next one is to offer to pay more rent up front. Now, most people can't do this. Most people can't pay a significant sum of their rent up front. And most people don't want to because it's not the best place to put your money. Your money is better suited adding to investments or things like that. But this is something where if you need to get the price down, if you're getting a 30% return on your money by paying it up front so your rent doesn't go up 30%, then I would go ahead and do that because that's a much higher return than you're going to get doing anything else right now. So this is something where you just have to think through the situation and what's going on currently and saying, hey, if you have the means to do this, if you can pay three, six, nine, or even 12 months rent and get a really good deal on your rent and your landlord likes that, then I would consider that as well. Here are some other things that you can put into play. Maybe you can offer to give up a parking spot. And if you offer to give a parking spot, the landlord can charge more for that parking spot to another tenant. So they can make more money on that frontage and it helps reduce your rent. If you don't have a pet in place, point that out. Landlords don't really love having pets. There's a reason why there's a pet deposit and they make you pay more. Because a lot of times pets can tear up the property or at least just make it a more dirty environment. Now you could say I have the cleanest pet in the world. Absolutely, but that's not what landlords think typically when they rent out the property. Another thing you could do is offer to extend the termination notice that you have to give the landlord from 30 to 90 days. I love this one because it's just an extra bargaining chip that you can throw in. If you're close on a negotiation, you can say, hey, I will give you 90 days notice if I'm going to leave or terminate this lease. And landlords love that because it gives them 90 days to find another tenant before you leave and they can turn over the property the day you leave instead of having to wait a whole entire month and losing a month's rent. That's a great bargaining chip as well. And you can say that to them. Say, hey, 
I will give you a 90-day notice. I will also allow you to bring new renters into the property while I'm still living here so that you can get this leased out as fast as possible. That way, you don't lose a month's rent and have to worry about turning over the property while there's no tenant and nobody paying inside of this unit. Another creative one is you can make a deal for referrals if they have low occupancy. So if it's like a 12-unit apartment building and that landlord only has five of those units rented, for example, you can say, hey, if I find referrals, will you reduce my rent or give me a month's free rent for each person that I get into the building? And that's another thing that you can work through and do. And one easy way to do that is then you can post it on Facebook Marketplace or Craigslist and just help them out and find tenants for them. And they may be willing, this is a side hustle technically, but they may be willing to give you a free month's rent per tenant or half off for that month or whatever else you can do. But that's a creative way to think through this as well. And that's what I want you to take away from this is all negotiations, specifically when it comes to your rent, you should treat this like a business deal. And the best business people are the ones that can come up with really creative ideas to make things happen. That's the cool thing about all things in real estate. When you're doing real estate deals, some of the best real estate investors that I know are the most creative people when it comes to deal making. So if you can get creative with your landlord telling them, here's a bunch of different ideas that I have to reduce the rent, and let's work together on this. And if you could think of some other creative ideas, I'd love to hear them. So make sure you send them over to me as well, because I think this is a really cool thing that you can add as you start negotiating throughout this process. Now, step five, you have to learn how to handle objections. So handling objections is one of the most important things when it comes to negotiating. And no one in any negotiation is going to give you every single thing that you want. If you're walking into this thinking you're going to get every single thing that you want, the likelihood is very low. It's possible, but it's low. So you want to be as respectful as possible here. And the best way to do this is to learn how to negotiate with scripts. So here's a really easy exercise that you can do. Most of the time, you're going to have an idea of what your landlord may not go for. So make a list of this and just say, if my landlord objects to X, I'm going to offer Y. And you're going to write out a list of these on a sheet of paper so that you can write out every single possible objection that you can think of. Write out every objection that you can think of throughout this process. And if you have these on a sheet of paper, now you have rebuttals for each objection that are respectful rebuttals, but you have a response, especially if you are not quick at thinking on your feet, which some people are not when you're in a negotiation, because if you have stress and anxiety, it can be a difficult thing to think on your feet. Well, if you have these scripts in place where you say, hey, if they will not decrease my rent by $400 from what they're actually offering to increase my rent by, then I'm going to offer 200 but giving up my parking spot. And you're going to try to meet in the middle that way. So you can think of a bunch of different situations that could happen within this negotiation and what your rebuttal is going to be. This is part of knowing exactly what you want. And this is why you want to know exactly what you want is piecing together this deal creatively. How can you piece this deal together creatively and being firm and assertive so that you can get the majority of what you want and that you're happy with your situation? Now, those are the five steps to negotiate like a pro and being prepared to negotiate with your landlord. Now, here's a bonus for you. If negotiation brings you extreme anxiety, there's only one thing that you can do here. You need to practice as much as possible. When you practice negotiating, you want to practice in low stakes environments. Get your friends together, get your family together, make yourself a little bit uncomfortable and start the negotiation process. You can even give them a bunch of objections and then you're going to handle those objections with some of your scripts that you put together. So put together some of these scripts, work on these objections, work through this negotiation because you're going to feel really comfortable if you practice this. The more you practice it, the more comfortable you're going to be. 
And like I said, this can save you thousands of dollars per year. So it's worth putting in this little extra effort to be able to do that. If it takes you two hours to prepare for the negotiation and it takes you two hours of just practicing negotiation, four hours where you can save thousands of dollars, let's just say you save two grand throughout the year, you made $500 an hour by doing that. So it's worthwhile to put in this effort so that you can negotiate properly and make sure that you get the best deal for yourself and your financial situation because financial independence is riding on it. Imagine if you can invest an additional $2,000 per year towards your retirement accounts. That's a massive difference over the course of 30 years. So grab a friend, grab a family member, work on practicing through some of this stuff so that you can get comfortable. Even if you aren't comfortable in negotiation, try it out with someone who's around and just see, hey, am I as good at this as I think I am? And you can figure out, hey, what are some of these objections? Where are my weak points within my negotiation so that you can get better and better and better at this? And if it feels really awkward, I know it can feel really weird. I know it can feel awkward. If that's you, if it feels awkward, just know, is it worth feeling awkward so that you can save thousands and thousands of dollars? I think it is for most people, but you're going to have to work on this over time. And you have, if you have a year before your lease is up and you want to practice negotiation, it's an awesome, awesome skill to have. That's what it is. It's a skill. It's not something you're born with. You're not a great negotiator when you're born. You have to actually practice it over time. So practicing it is an amazing skill that you can put together. And sometimes you just got to put yourself out there a little bit and work through some of this stuff. I know this because I am actually an introvert. And being introverted is something where I had to work through this to kind of bring myself to an extroverted state when I have these negotiations. So it's one of those things that over time you get better and better and better at it. And creativity really helps within some of these things. But Once you get to that point where you're at least somewhat comfortable, then you can start the negotiation and be ready to roll. Now, listen, if you guys have any questions about this episode, hit me up on TikTok or Instagram at Master Money Co. And don't forget to follow us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or whatever podcast player you love listening to this podcast to. And if you want to help out the show, leave a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Thank you guys so much for leaving those reviews. I truly appreciate it. And if you know somebody who wants to learn how to build wealth, share this podcast with them because we have a bunch of episodes coming out that I'm really excited to share with you guys. I can't thank you guys enough for listening to this episode and we will see you on the next episode. Everyone's heard the saying, you have to spend money to make money. But everything in life, from travel to starting a business, is expensive. Which is why I want to tell you about a new podcast I love that will teach you all the tactics, tricks, and tips you need to upgrade your life, money, and even travel, all while spending less and saving more. It's called All the Hacks, and it's a top-ranked show hosted by my good friend Chris Hutchins a financial optimizer, an entrepreneur who's racked up millions of points, and he sold two companies. And if you want to rethink the way you're spending money, you have to check out the episode 91 with Bill Perkins and why you should be optimizing for net fulfillment and not net worth and striving to die with zero. All the Hacks has something for everyone, and I'm sure you'll find a new tactic that you can apply to your own life, whether it's a money hack that increases your net worth or a routine change that boosts your productivity. So check out All the Hacks. That's All the Hacks on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Your wallet will thank you later.